The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So the name of this series is uh, how, how the Gospel Changes Everything. And I'm really particularly excited to begin uh, this series, and, and here's why, if you just listen for a moment. Uh, the book of Romans, it could be said, is the most influential book or the most influential part of the most influential book in history. Uh, the book of Romans explains what the gospel is or what has happened. So uh, if you're familiar with the Bible or if you're not, uh, in the beginning of the New Testament, the, the, the back of the Bible, um, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the gospels. And what those do is they tell us the story of who Jesus was and what he did for us. Those are the gospels. And what Romans does is Paul, the uh, apostle Paul, writes the letter of to the church in Rome, what, the, what Romans does, it explains, hey, you've read, you've heard who Jesus was and what he did. We're, I'm, I'm explaining to you what that means. I'm explaining to you how the gospel or the good news of Jesus changes everything. Uh, Romans explains the gospel story. Here's what it means. That's what it's telling us. And what he's really telling us, what he's really explaining is he's answering the question for us, what's the big deal about the gospel? What's the big deal about the gospel? I mean, whether you're in here and you're a Christian or not and you've heard the term gospel and you've heard about Jesus and you've heard about what he did and who he was, and the question can be, what's the big deal about the gospel? How does it actually affect me and change me or affect my life at all? And, and here's the truth. The gospel is the thing that changes, has changed the world. It changed Paul and it can change you as well. The gospel changed the world. It changed Paul and it can change you as well. In fact, it will change you one way or the other. And what we're praying as we begin this time, we as the leaders of Doxa, as the congregation wants to be praying together, we're praying that our time in Romans will do exactly that. We're praying that it will change us. Well, here, here, I'll let you know what I'm praying for. I think we as the elders are praying for as we're in Romans. We're praying that our time in, God, in, in Romans together would bring about an awakening in our church to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. We're praying that, that as we go through Romans, it will convict us of sin, it will convict us or, or convince us of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. It will convince us of the truth of the gospel. We're praying that, the, that as we go through Romans, that it would revolutionize us, that we was found in Jesus. That's what we're praying that will happen in Romans. We're praying that God would awaken sleepy Christians, that he would cause non-Christians to be brought from death to life. We're praying that he would bring an awakening in our church, an awakening in the churches of the area that would revolutionize the Grand Strand area for God's name and his fame and his renown. Uh, today we're looking at Paul's opening to letter, verses 1 through 7 of Romans. And as we do so, it's sort of like the beginning of a symphony. Um, I'm not great on the music. I joke with that uh, I have really terrible taste in music, but I've heard like sort of like 
you know, I, I've heard people who are knowledgeable and who do love music and who know what they're talking about describe to me what a symphony is like. I, I hear a symphony and, you know, I'm either like, okay, I'm bored or like, okay, this is beautiful, but I don't really maybe fully understand what's going on. And somebody explained to me that a composer, when they write the symphony at the beginning of the symphony, that they'll, they uh, tease out different themes and different concepts in the beginning that they're going to explore later on throughout the music. Isn't that beautiful through the piece? So they, they tease out these ideas that they're going to explore and they're going to play out through the rest of the piece. And that's what Paul is doing here in verses 1 through 7 about what's coming in Romans. He's teasing out these lots of different themes that we're going to see played out in the time to come. And what we're going to look at today as we see Paul do this in verses 1 through 7 is we're going to see as he teases out for us what's so great about the gospel. And there's four things in particular that we see that he raises, these four themes that he raises in front of us. First of all, he tells us the gospel is great because the gospel stands above. The gospel is great because the gospel goes deeper. The gospel is great because the gospel brings you in. And the gospel is great because the, because the gospel takes you further. Hey, four points for you today, not three. The gospel stands above. It goes deeper, it brings you in, it takes you further. First of all, the gospel stands above. Let's read verses one through four again together. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he proclaimed beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. What we need to do as we proceed through this passage is we need to define a word that I've already used like 16 times and a word that Paul uses right here, right off the bat in verses one. And he's gonna use it a lot throughout chapter one, particularly in verses one through 17. And that's the word gospel. It's a word that you, we hear a lot as Christians. It's a word that you hear a lot around here. We talk about gospel a lot. We talk about believing the gospel. The gospel changes us, how we need to be gospel-centered in our lives. We want to be a gospel-centered church. And the, the problem with using a word like that, though it's a great word, and we're going to keep on using it, we're going to use it a lot, uh, is uh, sometimes it, it can become one of those Christianized words, right? Where it starts to take on like no meaning because the only time you hear gospel is the time that when you're in church around some other Christians and it comes to sort of mean like any number of things. When we say gospel, what does that mean to you? What comes into your mind? So let's define what gospel means. When Paul or the early Christians are using the term gospel, in fact, Jesus used the term gospel, it would have meant something in particular to the hearers in this time in the ancient world. So uh, they, uh, they didn't have news media the way you have now. Uh, you know, we get alerts on our phones. We sit down and we can watch, you know, whatever. Let's not get into it, but Fox News or CNN or, you know, we all know. We're in one of those camps in this room, uh, one of those uh, networks. Or uh, we all get our news and it, can come, it comes to us instantaneously and it comes to us 24 hours a day. It's hard. To, I mean, you have to really work to be uninformed, right? I mean, it's hard to miss at least a headline about something that's going on. You may not know what it means, but to, to catch at least a headline. But in this day, they did not have news media the way that we had it. They didn't have, obviously, the internet. They didn't even have newspapers the way we have. It was, there, was, there was in 
important news that had to be shared, you would have a herald that would be sent out from the capital city or from the king or from whoever, and they would travel to each village or town and they would declare the news. And there was a particular messenger, a particular herald that was welcomed and and was uh, greeted with excitement by the people, and that was a, a herald that came with good news or a gospel. That's what gospel means. It's a good news heralder or a good news that has been heralded. So a gospel heralder, a gospel messenger would come to your town and they would tell you the good news. It would be, hey, our king has gone up against you. You've heard that he was going into battle and we didn't know what was going to happen. And we knew if the other king won, we would become his servants or his slaves. And I had come to you with good news of great joy. The king has won the battle. We are still under his rule and reign and things are good. Things are okay. Or you're, you're in a city and you're, you send off the, the men of the city to go fight in this battle and you're all wondering, I wonder what happened. I wonder what happened and days and days would pass. I was just listening to an audio book uh, the past couple of weeks uh, about 1776 here in the United States and uh, it took usually about three to four months for news of what had happened in the United States to get back to England can you imagine what kind of lag time is going? A lot has happened by the time it makes it to you. And that's how the news came. The news came to, t- to tell you, hey, I know you guys have been waiting on pins and needles for days and weeks. Here's the good news, the gospel. Something great has happened. And so when Paul opens up this letter to Rome, think about how many armies Rome had sent out and how many gospel her- heralds they had welcomed back with good news about what had happened in battle. Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. They would have heard that. That means some really great, amazing, joy-filled, uh, ecstatic news has happened. And I've been set apart to share with you, to tell you what that good news is. And what Paul is saying is the news about who Jesus is, who Jesus was, what he came to do, and all that he did for us, that news is the greatest, most joyous news of all time. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It stands above everything else in the world. How do we know that? Because he says this good news of what Jesus has done And who he was, it was not only did it just happen, at this point it would have been a few decades basically since it had happened. Not only did it just happen a a few decades ago, but he's saying that promise, the good news of who Jesus was and what he did was promised long beforehand by the prophets. That God sent servants of him along the way and he de- they declared we are in trouble we need a savior and a savior is coming for us and they prophesied nobody understood it until Jesus came he fulfilled every single one of those prophecies it was a long-standing and varied prophecies of a Savior, and they were all fulfilled in Jesus you know what that means that means the coming of Jesus is the apex of human history The coming of Jesus is the apex of human history. The coming of Jesus is the fulcrum, if you will, of history. You know what a fulcrum is? It's the the thing that you you build the power of 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 a lever on. Jesus, the coming of Jesus is the fulcrum of history. It's where all of history swings upon. It's sort of the continental divide of history, really. My wife, Meg, and I, and the kids, we went on a, a 
vacation last year to Colorado to visit Megan's family. We went up into the Rockies and we went to Rocky Mountain National Park and we crossed the Continental Divide. And the Continental Divide is the, the imaginary line that runs down the, jaggedly through the, the continent that divides that on this side, all of the rivers flow east and on this side, all the rivers flow west. Jesus is the continental divide of history. He has been prophesied from long standing before. And the good news of who he is and what he has done is the joyous news, is the most amazing news, is the news that divides human history. That news is about Jesus. The gospel is the news about a person. The gospel isn't, isn't uh, some code of conduct. The gospel isn't the Ten Commandments, as great as they are. The gospel is not the, the, the golden rule. It's not the great commandment. The, the gospel is not the, a set of rules of what you should do and what you should not do. That's not the gospel. Those are all great and those are all good. And we as believers, we're going to see coming, in coming weeks and months that our lives should look very differently than the people around us. But the gospel is not news about how you, should, how you and I should act. The gospel is news about what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's news about who he is. The gospel is about a person. The gospel is about a person. It says, it tells us that Jesus Christ, his, first of all, it tells us that he was God's son. Now here's why the gospel is such good news and why it stands above everything else in human game changer. I don't know what you believe about religion, about Christianity, about your life, about what kind of code of conduct you live by and what ethics you try to keep, but no matter where you stand on any of those things, Jesus Christ, if he is the son of God, then he demands a different kind of attention than we give anybody else in anything else. If Jesus is the son of God, then who, what he came to do stands as incredibly more important than what anybody, any, anybody else or anything else has done. As great as I enjoyed listening to that book about 1776 and the great founding fathers of our country, as great men as they may or may not have been, they, any great man pales in comparison to Jesus Christ if he is the Son of God. If he's the Son of God, then the things that he said have greater weight than anybody else, like infinitely greater weight than anybody else. If he was the son of God, then what he said he came to do means more than what anybody else said they were doing. And if, if, if he is the son of God, what he did means more to you. He, husband or my kids or my mom or my dad or my friend, like my girlfriend, my boyfriend, no, they're the most important person in my life. No, I'm not saying who you think the most important person in your life is. I'm saying if Jesus is the son of God, then he is the most important person in your life. What he said and what he did, what he came to do, is the most important per thing, not just in like, general history somewhere, but it's the most important thing in your life. And he's the most important person in your life. However you respond to him, positively or negatively, he is the most important person in your life. The gospel is about Jesus, who was the Son of God, but then it tells us that he became flesh, or took on flesh, or he became a man. If that's true, if Jesus was the Son of God, 
and yet he became a human being, then that is like show-stopping, world-stopping news. Not only is there some God somewhere who I owe some sort of loyalty to, but that God came and became a man in order to reveal to us and show us what the Father or what God is like and to accomplish something for us that we could not accomplish on our own. It says that he was the Son of God, he became flesh, and it says that he died. And then he rose again. The gospel is the story about the fact that the Son of God became man, he died. Why is that important? Because Jesus told us, and throughout the rest of this book, and the whole Bible tells us, what Romans is going to lay out for us is that he died because you and I are by nature and by choice traitors and sinners against God. And no matter all the, whatever good that you've done in life, and you may have done a lot of good, you can't do good enough to get yourself out of the hole of being a sinner before God. That die was already cast. And we fulfill that over and over again that's built into our DNA now to be sinners, to be traitors against God. And the gospel says that God became man and died because the penalty of sin is death, separation from God. It says that God, the scripture tells us that God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He didn't become a sinner like he sinned, he became a sinner in that he took on the weight or the burden or the penalty of your sin. Not just of sins of like the world in general, but of your sin. Think of your sin. Think of the ways that you have wronged people. I just think about this week, the the ways that I've wronged my wife my kids, my friends, my fellow church members. Things that I've said out loud or in my head as people cut me off in traffic or in line or I stood in line at Walmart. Anybody like, like I sent a lot at the line of Walmart. I think things about Walmart in general, about the people who are standing there, Man, if it was like on a projection screen, it would be incredibly embarrassing. But you know what would then happen? I would look at everybody else's projection screen and we're all thinking the same thing. I mean, we are, we are hellions in Walmart and on Highway 501. Think about your sins. He died for those. And not just for those sins, but he died for you so you wouldn't have to bear the penalty that you justly deserved. And then he rose again. And here's again how Jesus stands above everything else in history. It says, listen to this wording here in verse four. And he was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. You know what that means? It means that Jesus Christ, before he took on flesh, and we can't even figure out how this happens because he was in eternity, but before Jesus Christ took on flesh, he was just the son of God. I mean, that's amazing. But here's what theologians tell us about what this, what this is saying. It's saying that Jesus earned 
a title at his resurrection that he did not have before. And that was now he was the son of God in power or the Lord. He had earned or he was declared or appointed the son of God in power because he had accomplished something that he had never accomplished before. He had accomplished something for you and for me that no one ever had dreamed of accomplishing and no one could accomplish. He was declared or appointed the son of God in power. That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news about who Jesus is and that he came to die for you, for your sin, for you to save us. And that's why it's joyous, glorious, amazing good news. That's why it's gospel. It's not just gospel like Christian word, but it's gospel as in a gracious, amazing, joyous, amazing, mind-blowing news. That's what sets Christianity apart from any other religion and any other creed, any other belief. Because every other creed, every other religion, religion says, here's what you need to do in order to be right. And the gospel is, here's what Jesus has done to make you right. It's not a code of conduct. It's not a, something just simply, simply to believe in. It's news about what has been done by above because nothing divides the world like the gospel of Jesus that stands above everything else. You either believe Jesus was who he said he was and he did all that he said he was gonna do to unite us to the Father or you don't. It divides humanity. The gospel stands above, but then listen to this, the gospel goes deeper. Paul is saying the gospel goes deeper in us than anything else. It goes deeper than any other belief. It goes deeper than any other creed. It goes deeper than any other religion or any other code of conduct. It goes deeper than any, uh, uh, any sort of sense of ethics or any ideology, nothing stands like it. And hear how, where Paul is coming from, what he's saying. Paul, the verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, to really get what he's saying here, we have to understand who Paul was. So Paul was formerly a guy named Saul, and Saul was a Jew. And when I say he was a Jew, he was like a Jew of the Jews, I mean, he was, so, so I come from, you know, I come from the South. I come from the country, not far from here. And, uh, you know, I'm from the country. I'm a South Carolina boy. I'm a country boy. And, like, and the fact, that's where I come from. But, you know, there's like, there's like people who came from the country, and then there's like country boys. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the difference between, like, like there's people who are from Jersey, and there, there's are like, there are people who are from Jersey. You, you know what I mean? Like, like there's a difference. Paul was like, if he, was, if he was a redneck, he was, he was like jacked up truck, big tires, mud flaps, you know, like dirt on the side, you know, gun hidden under the seat even though it's illegal, you know, camo, giant boots, chewing, spitting, listening to country music. He's that guy. He is a Jew of the Jews. Of the Jews, he stood above. He was what was called a Pharisee. That means he not only was he a Jew, but he kept the laws of the Jews tighter and more detailed than anybody else. He could take pride in saying, I, he knew the scripture. He governed his life by great discipline. 
And as a Jew, you would look down on anybody who was not a Jew. A, a Pharisee would never, never, unless absolutely had to, they would never have a conversation with a Gentile. A Gentile is a non-Jew. They would never have a conversation with a Gentile. They would never eat with a Gentile. Paul was a Jew of the Jews, and so whenever he heard about this guy, and the big thing about the Jews is they believed in one God, the one almighty creator God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when he heard this guy named Jesus had come along, and he like, declared that he was the son of God, that he was equal to God, and he declared that he was dying on the cross for our sins, that went all over Paul, and Paul became an enemy of Jesus and an enemy of anybody who followed Jesus, so much so that he went and traveled from village to village and town to town, seeing that those who called on the name of Christ were locked up and, and put in prison, flogged, even killed, until up, up to the point that they would renounce Jesus. He tried to do away, he was, he was an enemy of Christianity and Christians and Christ. And now Paul opens this letter to the church in Rome, says Paul, a, not just a believer in Christ Jesus, he says Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The gospel comes in and it changes us. Paul Saul was traveling down the road. He was going to another city to try to lock up Christians. He had murder in his eyes. He was proud. He was pompous. He stood for the one true religion. And he was going to stomp out this sect of false believers who were now calling on the name of Christ. And on the way, Jesus himself appears to him. And Paul Saul goes from being a proud fighter and enemy of Christ to one who bows his knee before him, confesses him as Lord, and calls himself a servant of Jesus. You know what that word servant there means? It actually means slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. The gospel came to Paul the gospel about Jesus as Jesus came to him and it changed him so much that he went from opposing the, this man Jesus and opposing anybody who believed in him to calling him Lord and calling himself a servant or a slave of this man, Christ Jesus. Paul, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus. Look, called to be an apostle. This, when, when Paul believed Jesus Christ, whenever he heard the gospel and he was convicted of the reality of who Jesus was and all that he said he was going to do, that he actually came and he did, whenever he believed that and he accepted that, he bowed his knee to him. He called him Lord. He called himself a servant. And it went deep enough, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus was, it went deep enough into his heart. It, it pierced his heart enough that it actually changed his identity. He he went from being Saul to being Paul. He went from being Paul, a rabbi, a Pharisee, to Paul, an apostle of Christ. It changed his identity. That's what the gospel does. The gospel, again, if it is true, then it, it's an important thing in your life. And all of us have to do with it, do with that. What are you going to do with it? Because the reason it hits people so hard and the reason people oppose the gospel of Jesus more than any other message of any other religion is because it comes to us with a claim that we know. 
When you hear the story, whether you believe or not, if you hear the story of this is who Jesus was, he was God, he came, became man for your sins, died on the cross for you, rose again, and he is the Lord and Savior of the world. Whenever you hear that, we instinctively know if I'm gonna believe that, that means that it demands everything of me. It is a free, a call of free grace. I cannot, it's news. I can't earn it. I either believe it or I don't believe it. I can't earn my way into it. It's news about what he did for me and not what I do. But it is, I know that it demands everything of me if it's true. If the gospel is true, then I know that I can't hold back any part of my life from him, not with good conscience. And I know that he is Lord. He will come after everything in my life that stands between me and him. It stands between him and my heart. He will come after every single nook and cranny, every dark corner, every quiet place, every bit of, 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 of rebellion and hard hardness that you and I have, every besetting sin, everything that we hold against him, he's coming after that because he is Lord and Savior. When I hear it, I know instinctively it means it demands all of me. And that's why there are those who see and even kind of see this see a little bit like, man, this is who Jesus was. And man, I wish that was true, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bow my knee to that. I'm not gonna believe it. I'm not gonna accept it because if I do, I know it demands all of me. Because Jesus offers everything. Here's the good news. Jesus offers everything that you were made for, but it demands everything that you hold dear. Jesus offers everything you were made for, every deep, the deepest desires that you have that nothing seems to actually fulfill. No person, no thing, no career, no success, no nothing ever seems to scr scratch that itch totally. Have you ever had one of those itches? Like that part of your back where you can't reach and you finally convince somebody, like in my, in my house, I almost like I have to bribe somebody. Well, somebody scratched my back, I'll, I'll pay you a quarter and they're like, no, I'm, I'm too busy. Like, where like they scratch it and it keeps on moving on your back. You're like right there and they get on the spot and then no, it's up to your left, up to the right. You can never seem to actually get it. Like that's what sin is like for us. We're trying to, try to scratch the itch and we can never get to it. Jesus offers the answer for all those itches that we can never quite seem to scratch. But you know what he does in exchange? He demands everything that we hold dear. If you would follow me, Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. A Roman citizen or someone alive in the Roman Empire would have known that meant I am I'm as good as dead whenever I pick up that cross. I've lost all my rights as a person. The gospel of God goes deeper because it challenges my autonomy and my independence. It, it, it admit, makes me admit that I need help. And it, it tells me I have to submit to him. It's shaping and my future. But you know what? It also goes deeper because it's the message of what Jesus did for me personally himself. Jesus didn't send somebody else to handle salvation for you and me. He came after us himself. God took the penalty that you owed him. That's love. 
The gospel goes deeper because whenever I see the beauty of the gospel, I see the beauty of all that Jesus is and all that he has done for me, then it erupts inside me with simultaneously with deep conviction, but also incredible joy. It comes with a weight, but it also comes with love and a peace. The gospel stands above, the gospel goes deeper, and the gospel brings you in. Look at the effect of the gospel as Paul was writing to the church in Rome. He says, verse eight, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is, is someone who is called to belong to Jesus. Do you hear the, like, the personal intimacy involved in that? Like Jesus didn't come and die for, just for people in general. He, he did, but he came and he died for you. He determined before the world began that he was gonna call you to belong to him. Think of all the ways that you lived before you came to Christ, even after you came to Christ as a Christian. All the ways that we continually ran from him and continue to try to run from him. He determined that you would be called to belong to him. Called to belong to him and then look to all those who in Rome who are loved by God. Let's not run over that in church, that you are loved by God. That's not general, like again, like God loves us. It means that God loves you. And the amazing part about that is, I don't know about you, well I do know about you actually, you're a lot like me, we're all incredible screw ups. We've all continually met, we long to be loved, but we don't deserve to be loved by God but we long for, for unconditional love and that has been placed upon you through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. All those who are loved by God and lastly called to be saints. Isn't that beautiful? God calls you to be a saint means to someone who is set apart. It's the picture of someone who is holy or clean before God. And, and you know why it says that you were, you were uh, called to belong to Christ, loved by God, and called to be saints? Not because you and I, we don't deserve on our own merit, where none of us are saints. But through Christ, through his work on our behalf, God the Father sees you and I as saints. He sees us as holy. He sees us as pure and as perfect as his son, Jesus. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus exchanged our sin for his holiness. You know what that means? It means the news of the gospel is that you aren't on the outside anymore. You've been brought inside. You've been brought in to the most exclusive company Imaginable. You've been brought into fellowship and union with God through Jesus. 
You are loved. You are brought in. You have a value upon you that is higher and greater than you ever dreamed or could ever imagine. God, Jesus brings us in no matter our background. He brings us all together to himself. This is Paul, the great Jew of the Jews, writing to a mostly Gentile church in Rome. And they are called, they are loved, they are called saints. All based upon Jesus, all sustained by Jesus, and all for him. The gospel stands above, the gospel goes deeper, the gospel brings us in. And lastly, and very quickly, the gospel takes you further. Here's the, one of the interesting things about this passage, we've already hit on it. Paul a Jew of the Jews is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he's on his, towards the end of his third missionary journey. So by this, by this point, uh, Paul has devoted 25 years of his life to traveling around the Roman Empire, planting churches. And, and this once proud Jew who never would have eaten or, and if he could not have helped it, spoken with a Gentile, has now planted churches throughout the Gentile world. He is the apostle or the sent one to the Gentiles. And on top of that, he's now writing this letter to the church in Rome, which is the seat of the evil empire that had conquered Israel. Think about that. The seat of the power. He could be writing to members of Caesar's household or or great uh, officials in the Roman government soldiers and family members. In fact, we know that he, he was in the church of Rome. Those people all belong to the church of Rome, mostly slaves, but also many people of standing and of repute and uh, with a lot of influence. He's writing to them, this Jew of the Jews, and he's, call, he's telling them they are loved, they're saints, they're called by God to belong to Jesus Christ. He now calls these Roman Gentiles brothers and sisters. After devoting 25 years of his life to planting churches and proclaiming the name of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus throughout the Gentile world. And why did he do it? It tells us, verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The gospel takes you further because whenever you see the beauty that's found in the face of Jesus Christ, when the gospel comes in and it changes and revolutionizes your heart and your life, it sends you into a type of life you never would have imagined for the sake of his name. Because if, my, if I'm a servant of Christ, if I'm a slave of Christ, if he is my Lord and I belong to him and I have reaped, as becoming his, I've reaped an intimacy with God and the riches, then I can take my life and I'll be compelled and propelled to give my life for the sake of his name among all the nations. It changes the end of my life. It takes me further than I ever thought I would have imagined. Paul 30 years, 40 years before this, never would have imagined that not only would he have a conversation with a Gentile, but he would be calling them brothers and sisters and have devoted 
25 years of his life to planting churches among them. And if the gospel is not, is not changing us and taking us further to, to people that we're not comfortable with, to a type of lifestyle that we're not comfortable with for the sake of his name, so that his name will be known and believed among all people, then I don't know if we really believe it. But if we do and we see it, then we give our lives to him and it's no sacrifice. It breaks us out of our selfishness for the sake of his name among all nations. That's what I want us to be about as a people. That's what we need to be about as a people. To be so enamored, not because we're supposed to, not because our vision statement says it or our mission statement says it or I read that I'm supposed to in scripture, but we sh- I want us to be compelled and propelled because we are so deeply moved by the beauty of all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us, the message of the gospel that goes so deep into us as a people that causes us to react and say, God, for your name and for your renown, for your fame, I'm putting all my life for you. Take me further than I ever would have imagined for the sake of your glory and for the sake of your name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.